All right, welcome back to a bonus episode of the Blasters and Blades podcast. So, hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans, time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies, a place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. So without further ado, let me tell you what we're doing right now. We're getting ready to uh, release some of the archive that we found from when we were the sci-fi shenanigans. Uh, we're going to get those up there for, for the posts that were brought down. We thought you might enjoy them. Um, and so without further ado, let us uh, let us roll that beautiful... Oh, wait, they're going to sue me. Play it. Hey, all you crazy sci-fi fans. Time for your daily dose of insanity over here at the Sci-Fi Shenanigans Podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions. A place where the sky's the limit, space is a place, and nerds run the world. And without further ado... All right, welcome back to another episode of the Sci-Fi Shenanigans Podcast. Today, we are here without our intrepid co-host, Chris Weiner. Uh, unfortunately, he had an attack of the vapors, otherwise known as a migraine, so he was planning on attending this one, and he regrets that he wasn't able to, but anybody who's ever had a migraine should understand how miserable those can be, uh, and so hopefully the crowns that uh, were flavored appropriately will help get him through, uh, and he can manage not to overdose. But uh, in the meantime, we have our very special returning guest, the one, the only, Mr. Scott Bartlett. Hello. Welcome, welcome. Uh, so, Scott, we'll do the introduction of you. Scott was born in St. John's, Newfoundland. Newfoundland? Newfoundland? Uh, Am I pronouncing it anywhere close? Newfoundland? Uh, I think probably one of those was pretty close to that. But everyone gets it wrong, so... Don't feel bad. All right. Outstanding. So it's the easternmost province of Canada. He loves long walks on the tundra and stimulating conversation with the local moose population. He's never worn the red coats of the Canadian Mounties, but during his decade-long journey to becoming a full-time author, he supported himself by working a number of different jobs, uh, including salmon hatchery technician, grocery clerk, youth care worker, ghostwriter, research assistant, peanut maker. Do you still do that? Because that sounds good right now. No, but I want to know how you knew about the news conversations. That's not online anyway. <laughs> We've got our ways. <clears throat> the CIA, they've been following you. Uh, and, of course, as a freelance editor, now he's a full-time independent author and all-around cool dude from the snowy regions of Canada, although I am told at this very moment there is no more snow in Canada. Uh, I don't, I'm looking out the window right now, and I don't see any, so confirmed. Outstanding, outstanding. And if he doesn't see it out his window, it doesn't exist, people. That's just the way we roll. All right. Yeah. So did we get everything right? Siska, go with it. It's my science. I don't like snow. Okay, well, then we agree with you. Snow is the devil. I firmly believe that the road to hell is paved with snow. It is. That fire thing was just a myth. Now that we've established that. So did we get it right, uh, Scott, as we shamelessly stole it from your Amazon page? Yeah, I'm just going to have to have a talk with those gossipy mooses. I can't believe that they've been spilling the gossip. <laughs> yeah, they spilled it all. Yeah. But uh, all right, outstanding. So the next part of the introduction, dear listener, is how we found them. So I first met Scott in uh, one of the various, various ooh, speak much today, science fiction groups that I'm in, and he was looking for arcs for his Mech War series. It was awesome, by the way. You should definitely read it. Um, I've written reviews of all of them, uh, so if you if you don't believe me, you can read what I had to say at the time. Uh, he ended up being extremely nice, um, and he's seriously one of the most fan-friendly 
authors I know, he literally writes back to every email he receives. He replies to all of them. Aww. Um, seriously. Uh, and I, I loved his uh, MacBook so much that he's one of my auto-buy authors. Uh, so as soon as he writes it, I buy it, even if I don't have time to read it right away, just so it's there waiting. Um, and we've stayed in touch since, and the rest, as they say, is history. So what about you, uh, Seska? How did you meet the one, the only, Mr. Moose Talkers, Scott Bartlett? Well, you, you said, we have a podcast with Scott. And I went, okay. And then you walked out of the room, after, and I went, and I'm going, oh, hi, Scott. And he goes, do I know you? And I went, nope, but you will now. <laughs> Very stalkery, I approve. So uh, <laughs> the, one of the, the many joys of, uh, of a teenager is he thinks he can sing, dear listeners. Sometimes he thinks that means volume, unfortunately. So I had to go tell him to, to can it a little bit softer so we could record. Because, so, you know, when you're 13, louder is better, I guess. That's what I remember. So I, I seem to remember having some of those same conversations as I was blaring Guns N' Roses back in the day. <laughs> but uh, all right. So let's not reminisce about how uh, how old that might make us be to the listeners who have like, oh, who's that? Uh, and Seska, you can ask the first question. So on to religion. What is your religion? Star Wars, Star Trek or Firefly? I like that we're getting out of this out of the way right away. Uh, hitting the religion question. This is a, this is a tough one. Uh, it's a bit of a toss-up between Star Wars and Firefly, but I do have to go with Firefly. I'm, I'm, I'm loyal to Mal. What can I say? I can is Mal it. loyal to you? Probably not. If he but... pays him. If he has enough credit, he is. He's, he's loyal to the brown coats and, and Serenity. <laughs> they really so, should have done a series about the brown coat war. You could you say do they it. should, or they're going to. No, they should. Yeah. They should expand that universe. There was so much depth to it, and they just murdered it too soon. Fox, those evil people. Yeah, we got robbed. We did. Murder, it's what happens when Fox does sci fi. So, what do you love about science fiction as a genre? Hmm. I'd say there are two things. And uh, they're kind of contradictory of each other, but oh well. Uh, one is just the, the possibilities of the genre, like there really are no limits in terms of ideas you can play with or, you know, new technologies you can bring in. But uh, the other one is, I think science fiction really re reveals, kind of ironically, I guess, what, what it truly means to be human. You know, like out there in the, the deep dark of space, uh, everyone is like the, their quintessential selves and you, you just have your often yourself to rely to fall back on and your maybe your crew to rely on and humans are, are superhuman not not in the superhero sense but they're extremely human and robots are extremely robotic and aliens are are just so alien and I, I just feel like it casts everything in a sort of essential light and it gets down to the basics of mainly what makes humans humans very cool what was your first memory reading watching playing games of the sci-fi genre i think it was actually a wrinkle in time by madeline lengel if that's how it's pronounced but uh other than that the first game starcraft for sure and ender's game was one of one of the earliest and that, that's probably the most notable for me the book the book yeah 
the movie was uh, the movie was okay. I'm surprised I watched it because normally I don't risk the movies with a book that I love, but it, it was okay. I just wanted to clarify because okay. uh, some people I said Ender's. I recommended somebody read Ender's Game once, and they went, "But that's a movie," and I went. <laughs> did you, did you uh, exterminate them for their heresy? No, no, no. It's not nice to kill people at Barnes and Noble. <laughs> I've heard that. I've heard they they don't like that. When did they put that in the TOS? When my manager said I'd have to clean up the mess. Ah, well, that's a fair point. That's a fair point. <laughs> and I want you to know, dear listener, if Scott, who was raised in Canada where they speak French too, couldn't pronounce Madeline whatever from A Wrinkle in Time's name, there's no hope for the rest of us and we should just give up and move on. oh not that i'm gonna be any better but so how did your love of the sci-fi genre transition you into what you're doing now the writing of it uh it really did come down to the ideas for me like i i tried writing a few different genres i tried medieval comedy believe it or not and contemporary fiction but uh when i when i was reading it was always like the the cool ideas that led to like awesome character interactions or fight scenes. And um, that's what really made me want to go from having these awesome experiences reading to giving readers those same awesome experiences. So I guess it was just that seeing authors I I looked up to uh, playing around with these awesome ideas. And I I said, Hey, I want to do that. Okay. Awesome. So what would you say is the single largest influence on your writing? Is there an author you always tr- enjoyed and tried to emulate? Or is it a specific experience? Like, mm, it's, it's hard to really pick one. But I, I feel like there have been so many. But well, then give us I your had... top five or three. If I was going to pick a, a main one, like if I had to put one at the top of the list, it probably would be Ender's Game. I still feel like that's influencing me even till now. And uh, a recent book that came out, Mothership, was uh, a a rewrite of the first book I ever wrote. And that was heavily influenced by Ender's Game. So I'd say to an extent, Ender's Game is still influencing me. So that's probably the one that I would choose if I were going to choose one. And so that's not the uh, the book um, that we're here to talk about, Mothership, but uh, I literally just finished it. I'm working on my review of it now, and I will say it was amazing. Yeah, you should thank definitely you. check it out. And the cover, oof, yeah, that should be a poster on your wall, people. Yeah. Well, Tom Edwards, <laughs> definitely Tom a poster on JR's wall. If my <laughs> wife would let me, I would have all the covers on all the walls. That sounds, sounds good. Uh, I must have been really life because a... I never had a problem with that. Well, unfortunately, polygamy is illegal in the U.S., so I'm stuck with what I got, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> All right, save me from myself, Sesco. Okay. Tra- transitioning from the writing side, let's talk about things from a fan angle. Has, have you ever spotted your book in the wild? Uh, so I haven't actually seen in the wild myself i have heard of some of my books cropping up at like local uh flea markets and craft fairs and and, like yard sales and stuff um before i i I went online with my writing i I was doing a lot of 
local crafters and shows and things. So I guess they they sort of percolated through the, the local community a fair bit. Uh, but I, I did. I was talking to someone a year or so ago who had run into someone over in Ireland who apparently likes my books and reads them. So I think that's the closest thing I've I've had to running into a complete stranger. Unless you count Leo Vaccaro, who'd read my books before, and I, I met him in Vegas, and uh, that that was really cool. He's also what cool. about the uh, the Etsy sale? Someone was reselling your book. That counts, I guess. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. on eBay. On uh, eBay, okay. Yeah, that was cool too. Uh, I, I guess, like in terms of like stumbling across someone reading my book in, in like in real life, uh, that hasn't happened to me. Yeah, although I guess I've seen people reading Kindles, so you never know. That's the other yeah, thing. Yeah, with the Kindle, it gets a lot harder because, especially, you know, social distancing, you should not be standing and trying to read over somebody's shoulder in the social distancing era, people. <laughs> Very true. And yeah, most of the books I sell are either ebook or audiobook. So it is, I guess, theoretically, I could have seen someone enjoying one of my books and not known it. That would be ironic. <laughs> so. Um, what's the weirdest funny story or interaction you've had with a fan since you started writing? I'm sure you uh, probably weird or funny could get interesting. <laughs> I'm sure because you know you email with them so intensely. Yeah, it's true. me, and I'm weird and funny, so it definitely <laughs> looking. <laughs> Burn. Uh, it, it seemed like the. To me, that like most people who have emailed me, are, are they seem normal to me, or at least more normal than me. So maybe that's a comment on, on me and, and how weird I am. But uh, in terms of funny, the the people in uh, my Facebook group, which uh, which JR is very active with and he helps me out with, um, they're 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 very humorous. Lots of great memes going around there. So Scott Bartlett's uh, spacers. If anyone wants to, if you're a space opera fan, looking for some funny sci-fi content, they're pretty funny in there. Awesome. That's great. And as usual, hmm. all the links will be in the show notes. Nice. Well, that's great because sometimes you hear crazy stories of people just being nutty online. And so it's nice to know that your fan gr fandom group is a bunch of good people. Best readers in the world. Notice she didn't say, might be she she didn't say sane. She didn't say we were sane, though. Well, uh, you're there, JR. <laughs> yeah, well, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Laugh all right. So <laughs> that happens all the time. I'm used to it. I'm married. It's it's what, what happens. So uh, now I'll list out the various series that Scott Bartlett has written. So we have Mothership, an alien invasion book, which is currently a standalone. And if we write enough letters uh, and we peer pressure him, maybe we'll get a sequel. We have the Spacer series. <laughs> The Mech War series, the After the Galaxy series, the Trapped, the Fleet Ops series, which is co-written with Joshua James. It currently only has one book in it, so is more gonna more gonna come? Yeah, uh, we've written book one, and uh, I'm working on my pass through it now. So we're hoping July, late July, it's gonna be recorded, and hopefully it'll it'll ship ebook and audio uh, soon after that. And that's okay. really, dear listener, why JR wanted to have him on, just to nag him. <laughs> Probably. Someone's got to do it. But, but we can't admit it. So then we have the Ixen Prophecies Trilogy, the Ixen Legacy Trilogy, the Out of Dodge Trilogy, 
the Finished with Life but Unable to Die Omnibus, which is basically the whole series, which is an awesome, uh, awesome title. Very immortal of you. Did you watch that show growing up? I did. The Highlander? No. no, there could be only one. All right, so you have led a sheltered life, and you need to fix that. True. Can't do you have, do you have something to say about that, Seska? You gonna you gonna join in? Uh, I was gonna say, yeah, it's gonna be really hard for him to write your book while he's trying to watch a TV show you've given him homework for. <laughs> this is true. Don't watch it. It's not that great. Ignore it. The TV doesn't exist. In fact, Netflix doesn't exist. Amazon Prime doesn't exist. Hulu <laughs> just went out of business. There is nothing Mush! but your keyboard. Mush. <laughs> I accept everything you just said. All right, outstanding, outstanding. Then we have the Royal Flush, uh, which is a standalone. We have the Proletarian taking stock, and he's been in two anthologies. So we have Explorations, Colony Anthology, and then the Stars in Flames, a military science fiction anthology box set. So that uh, box set, is that a reprint of uh, or a, um, a full novel collection, or were they actually short stories? They are novels, so the, the first after the Galaxy novel currently appears in there. Okay, so it's technically not an anthology, it's a collection, but gotcha, that works. Um, but since I don't know how to time it as well, we've just arbitrarily decided recently that after we read all the books that he's written, uh, that's where we're going to start putting our commercials, because with some authors, that uh, getting to know you section uh, can last upwards of an hour. Um, but Scott is very polite because he's Canadian, so he didn't take an hour to tell you. Uh, he wanted to save all the goodness for his books. So before we do that, we're going to pause for a second while we shamelessly shill for the man. Magnus watched as the three Jujari warriors stood up on their hind legs and drew their swords. The good news, he thought, is there aren't more. The bad news was that he didn't want his MAR-30's report attracting any more contact, but he highly doubted he'd be able to beat the enemy without his primary weapon. He lowered his blaster's output, deployed the spring-loaded bayonet below the muzzle, and then pulled his serrated combat blade from behind his chest plate. Awen, Magnus yelled, I want you to run! What? Run! Hey, this is Christopher Hopper, author of The Ruins of the Galaxy novels. If you love a good adventure that mixes space opera and military sci-fi, then I think you'll love book one in my new series entitled The Eve of War. It's available on Kindle at just 99 cents for a limited time. Books two and three are also set to release in the next two months. So if you're looking for your next sci-fi binge, you've come to the right place. Visit ruinsofthegalaxy.com or check out the books on Amazon for an adventure you won't forget. This is Christopher. See you in the ruins. All right. Thank you for sticking with us with that premature commercial interlude. We still have Scott Bartley with us. We have not scared him away. Saska was even nice to him. She's not nice to very many people, sir. So you're moving up in the world. Sweet. I'm a medic. I'm not supposed to be nice. No, not at all. Bedside manner. What's that? Uh, and while all of the books that I just read uh, before that commercial interlude sounded interesting, today we're going to talk about a Spacer series, more specifically the first book, also titled Spacers. Uh, so where did you get the premise for this universe? How did you come up with the idea for this series? Was it psychedelics, a Ouija board, overindulging in Canadian maple syrup? All of the above, mostly the syrup, though. I, I got to say, I believe it. Maple syrup's my news. Now, uh, I, I was I was looking into the game EVE Online because it, it sounded like it had a really cool universe. Uh, I've, I've only ever actually played like a half hour of EVE Online. 
But uh, I thought the lore sounded really cool. And uh, as I looked into it more, I actually ended up getting distracted, not by the lore of the universe, but by the player interactions in that universe. And the game is pretty old. It's been around since early 2000s, at least. I want to say it started up in 2003. So, um, yeah, I mean, player factions have risen and fall. These alliances and and super alliances of, of these military corporations have taken over vast swaths of space and gone to war. And uh, it's, I was incredibly fascinated by it. And it really got the, the creative wheels turning or the creative maple syrup flowing or, or whatever it was. And uh, sort of uh, k- kicked off the, the inspiration for Spacers. I also, another big influence on it was uh, the Horatio Hornblower series. I thought that was a really cool character. I don't think I'm alone among space opera authors and being influenced by those books. But uh, the the main character of my book, Tad Thatcher, definitely uh, has some similarities with, with Hornblower. Fans of those books will, will definitely see some of them in Tad. Outstanding. So before we dive in too deeply into the book itself, let's take a second to talk about that amazing cover. Um, I've always thought you did a great job at contracting your work with um, with Tom Edwards. Um, and as usual, he delivers you a masterpiece. So what do you look for when you're picking your covers? What do you think makes a great fit for the genres you write in and science fiction in general? So something Chris Fox talks about, uh, any indie authors will, will likely be familiar with Chris Fox. He's a, an indie author himself and gives great advice. But I went to his uh, panel in Vegas this past November. And uh, he talked a lot about something that made sense to me, which is recognizable symbols for people who who love a given genre or or type of movie or whatever. So in this case, obviously, the spaceship marks something pretty recognizably as a space opera. So I I often default to a spaceship on, on one of my books. Now, that's how you sort of put it as being, you know, part of the genre. But how do you differentiate it? So I'm often thinking about not only the the, the shape of the ship and the, the weaponry that it's going to have, but also what's where's the lighting coming from? Uh, what angle is it going to be at? So I thought the idea that I had for the first spacious book of, of the ship ascending toward the top, like going straight up, I thought that would look pretty cool and triumphant. And uh, like you said, it turned out really well. Uh, one other thing I'll say about covers and what I think makes a good cover is uh, have as few elements as possible. I think covers that are too busy, the reader's eye tends to sort of gloss over it as you're scrolling through the Amazon thumbnails, and that's really all you get to catch their attention is that thumbnail. So you want to have one main element and maybe one or two secondary elements, but you want the, the viewer's eye to be drawn to that main element, which is going to be exciting, which is going to hopefully draw them into the book because they know it's in a genre they love. But uh, did you get a chance to look at the uh, the link I sent you with the cover image? Uh, on Facebook? Or? No, no, no. I sent it to Seska at the bottom of this chat so she could see the cover for Spacers. Oh, cool. Oh, you wanted me to pay attention? Yes, I like the cover of Spacers. I do look at these things before before we interview people sometimes. Okay, it's just sometimes. <laughs> I was just checking. I really, I really like that one, so I just wanted you to No, see. I like it too. It kind so of then, reminds ever, me of another group's cover, but style. I you, you don't want me to talk about Bane. I okay, like it. We won't. 
It has some of the sim- right. similar concepts, like the strong art. Def- definitely, you look at that and you know it's science fiction. You know there's spaceships, which are cool. So, uh, Scott, we're, we're working on her she, in a 12-step program because she's sort of addicted to Anne McCaffrey and to, uh, to Bane books. Uh, I think she might be the original Bane Barfly, but I'm not quite no, sure no, I'm we not. can prove it yet. I'm too thin to be the original Bane Barfly. There are worse addictions okay. than that. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, so we, we almost can, can you know, oh, it's that time. She's mentioned Bane. Okay. In about two minutes, we're going to have a McCaffrey reference. Um, but it's okay. We, we forgive her anyway. All right. So now that we've talked about those amazing covers, uh, let's Somebody move on has to the to book. Be an educated reader. <clears throat> <laughs> now let's talk about the book itself. So what do you think makes Spacers special? So a big part of it, I think, is the how much thought I put into uh, the, the space battles, the, the big ships duking it out, and uh, what tactics are the, the characters, and specifically the main character, uh, Commander Tad Thatcher, what he's going to either have to plan in advance to, to defeat the enemy or more likely have to improvise on the fly because the enemy has thrown something at him that he did, wasn't expecting in the least. Uh, the, other, the other way that I try to sort of uh, differentiate it, I guess, is uh, by focusing on the, the characters and having that human element. So, for example, a big part of uh, Thatcher's motivation is that he's uh, – He's gone across the galaxy to work for a private military corp. And of course, uh, the aliens attack and the wormhole connecting that side of the galaxy, which I've called the Dawn Cluster, with Earth local space collapses. So he's a galaxy away from his pregnant wife. And that's a big part of his motivation to sort of figure things out in the Dawn Cluster so he can get back to her and uh, make sure she's all right. Oh, she's going to be angry when he gets home. (laughs) Yeah possible possible maybe he wants to stay and wait for the baby to be born and come back when all the work is done but uh we won't know until we read it that's just when the diaper changing starts well that's what he's trying to miss why do you think he started this war plot twist um so you mentioned about the tactics that you use um when when you know what makes it stand out so do you actually have like little figurines of your ships and you like you know, do the pew pew in space with your little with your little spaceships to uh, to reenact the battles. No, but I think if I did that, I would never get any writing done because I just I'd be having too much fun. Fair enough, fair enough. Although as Tom right. Edwards sends me more of these three D prints, that that does become a very real danger. How do we get these three D prints? Asking for a friend. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Right now, mostly by messaging me or maybe posting in the in the group. We don't really have an official order form or anything, but uh, we, we've sort of dialed it back with all the current craziness. But hopefully soon we're going to be stepping that up again. Fair enough. Fair enough. Long story right, short, so if anyone wants one, shoot me a message. All right, and he um, he does answer all those emails, and all of his contacts will be in the show notes. So, following that, what science fiction tropes do you feel that Spacer hits the best? I'd say Maverick Captain is a big one. Um, so, in this universe, space, or space warfare is very new, despite the fact that they've had warships for uh, the better part of a century. Warships capable of 
of uh, traversing space. They really, they really haven't been tested very much other than a, a brief war with the aliens that invaded 50 years ago who are now back. And uh, a lot of the warfare that's happening now occurs in the Dom cluster. Of course, I don't know what's going on in Earth local space. But uh, what's called the United, United Nations and colonies are no longer able to really maintain the peace and keep security in the Dom cluster because they can't call for backup from their main fleets, uh, which are stationed at Earth local space. So as they lose control, uh, you have more pirates rising up. And you also have old rivalries between private military corporations sparking again. So long story short, uh, space warfare is very new. And Thatcher finds himself with an opportunity to be at the forefront and to be kind of writing the textbook on space warfare as he goes. All right. Being at the forefront can be a dangerous place to be, but um, hopefully he lives through. But I'm going to guess it's okay because it's a series. But we never know. Some authors kill the main characters off at the end. So you've got to stay tuned, dear listener, and keep reading. Exactly right. So so following that, what subgenres or genres do you think your novel best fits into? I would say probably Space Fleet. It's, it's between space opera and space fleet. But like I said, um, there's a big focus on military tactics and also military you know, culture and structure. So... Um, and, and the tactics are also constantly evolving, and, and so is the tech. So, I mean, it, definitely we do see a lot of that in space opera, but I feel like the focus on the military probably pushes it into space fleet a little more. All right. That's a good answer. And now on to, to the story. Sorry, it's been a long day. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your main character, what makes him or her unique in the field of science fiction? It does sound like it's a him, though. It is, yeah. Commander Tad Thatcher. Um, I think what makes him unique is, and obviously he's not the only character like this, but he has flaws that I think are relatable. So, uh, you know, he starts out as not perfect. He's a bit of an authoritarian, a bit of a hard ass. And uh, his expectations are too high, I would say, for his crew. Now, that does have some positive results, but... It leads to problems later on, and uh, that's part of his sort of character arc, learning to, I guess, I guess uh, interact with his crew more as you know humans and collaborators while still maintaining the, the authority of the chain of command. So, uh, whereas I guess in, in some books you, you have a, a, a character, what's that? I said that can be a slippery slope. I've had those lieutenants who come in yeah, and they want yeah, to be no, everybody's sure. best friend. And it's like, yeah, that's nice. But, you know, sometimes you got to actually be the boss, dude. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. There's a balance to be struck there, I think. I think he's just too far on the authoritarian end. And people have actually picked up on that in reviews, maybe not realizing that that was the arc that I had planned for him to, to become less authoritarian as the series goes on. But uh, part of that is, is because he also has this famous grandfather, uh, Edward Thatcher, who played a, a principal role in defeating the Xanthic, the main alien species, 50 years ago. And he perceives that his grandfather was this huge hard ass. But uh, I'm, I'm working on a prequel story now that gets into that and shows that and that wasn't necessarily the case. But I don't want to spoil that too much. That's so coming out soon. After Mothership 2, right? Of course, of course. 
No, it's gonna it's gonna come first. Yeah, unfortunately. So, Sorry, Jr. Grr. <laughs> so, were there any secondary characters that were especially memorable to you? And tell us a bit about them. Yeah, I would say uh, Veronica Rose for one. She's the uh, the CEO of the PMC that Thatcher ends up working for, Frontier Security. And uh, they have an interesting dynamic there. It's uh, sort of like a, a will they, won't they situation. One which will uh, they, won't I mean, they kill each other? Uh, not not quite. The other one. <laughs> oh. Yeah. So uh, the one he doesn't want his pregnant wife to know about. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So there's definitely some some tension, if you will, between them. Uh, I I've just finished book three in the in the series. I, I won't say you know, whether that's been resolved or not by book three. But I do think that's a dynamic that uh, readers have been, you know, sort of interested in seeing resolved. Uh, a couple others, one, one being Hans Middleman, who is the sort of the spy master for Frontier Security, and the other being Simon Mole, who is the both CEO of uh of sunder incorporated and he's uh, a captain of, of their of their flagship the victorious and uh those guys are, are both super memorable for me too uh for, for their own reasons uh, they, they both clearly have hidden agendas and neither of them have fully come to light yet and for me knowing what i have in store for the readers later on i, I just get this like sick pleasure of, of knowing <laughs> what i'm planning <laughs> That's um, evil. I'm on that. So, speaking <laughs> of characters, have you ever redshirted a fan while creating the people whose lives you uh you fill up in your novel? And have I you have, killed, yeah, more so importantly, have you killed JR yet? JR <laughs> so far has survived. <sighs> Sorry, JR. Apparently, I would. I know he'll get to it. He has to. I need to die. <laughs> I, I would be open to doing that. Uh, actually, on my Patreon, I have a, a perk that uh, where you can get redshirted. So I've I've redshirted a good number of my of my patron of my patrons. Um, one reader I I, uh, I redshirted Sheila. Uh, she ha she has a cat uh, Saber who uh, who she keeps me updated on and sends pictures and things. Very cute, very playful cat. And so I named uh, the ship, the, the pirate ship, uh, after the cat. So it was called the Saber. And uh, she, a character was named after after Sheila. So the, the pirate captain was named after her. And, of course, the ship proceeded to get blown up because she was getting redshirted. So uh, yeah, these things happen. You know? Sometimes they happen deliberately. I, I, <laughs> yeah, no. I, I've I've had that question asked. It's a funny one. I enjoy the red shirt question. It's a great one. Um, if you ever met your characters, what would they do to you? Would oh they let God. make your life hell? Would you feel comfortable around them? No, not at all. I'm, I'm extremely sadistic to my characters. Like these these books are no picnics. <laughs> they they I really put them through the ringer. You know, I'm, I'm like, uh, what was it Robert Jordan used to say uh, about writing the Wheel of Time? Is like a, a vengeful god with his fist down in the middle of these characters' lives. That's that's my approach to character writing. I really don't think they would like me, and I know I wouldn't want to meet them for that reason. 
Unless they didn't know who I was. Wow. <laughs> At least he's being honest. That's he how it is. He's being very honest. <laughs> Especially the Mech Warriors people. That that was brutal. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they, they might have gotten it either the worst of all or it's up there for sure. Although I, I'm about to uh, start the Spacer series. I haven't read this one yet. But um, the pregnant wife left at home. She might have words for you. Oh, uh, I, I, having been the pregnant wife, I have words. Not my <laughs> one. Yeah. Uh, I, I would get a right. proper earful from from Lynn for sure if she if she were real. Okay. Do we get to see more of her, or does she always sort of stay in the in the shadows off screen? I can't tell you that, Jerry. We're get, we're getting into spoiler territory with that one. All right, fair enough, fair enough. All right, then you can ask the next question since he won't humor me. Uh, you know what? Get your fan jollies by reading the book. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> does your story have a bad guy for the main character to confront? They do. So that they have the the Xanthic. That's the main alien threat, and that's sort of like. The, the way that I do that is sort of similar to The Expanse in that there's sort of a, a looming background threat that's developing in strange ways. But um, in terms of like a, an individual that you could really call the bad guy, each book has had one so far. The, the first book was Raymond Pegg, uh, and he was more or less dealt with in book one. I won't give any spoilers. He does crop up later and cause some havoc. Try to talk about this stuff without giving spoilers. But uh, the, the characters that I mentioned before, Simon Mull and uh, Hans Middleman, they, they have a lot of potential uh, in terms of being that bad guy. And I think readers are going to be surprised in terms of which one turns out to be the bad guy and which one may not. But I won't say any more on that subject. Okay. So what can you tell us about the universe? Um and, and worlds, you know, the protagonist is a really big part, but can you tell us more about the expansive world that you've created within this? Sure, yeah. So, so like I said, the Earth local space connects, or wormhole connects Earth local space with the Dawn cluster. And uh, that's very similar to EVE Online in that the wormhole collapses. Now, in EVE, it happened in distant memory. I don't think it's even recorded history that the wormhole collapsed. They're just kind of the civilization that's grown up and never really known Earth, as far as I remember, in the Evelor. In this one, we've been in the Dawn Cluster, uh, which has an unusually high level of natural resources for us to exploit. We've been there for about 100 years. So we have built up a fair amount, but the collapsing of the wormhole is fairly sudden. And it's not confirmed whether it has to do with the, the aliens or not. But... Um, it does happen simultaneously. Totally blaming the aliens so a every decent year. decent chance that it does. What's that? I'm totally when blaming the aliens. Yeah, when did y'all blame the aliens? Humanity first. The other thing I'll say about the world is the title is very important. Spa the, the word spacers is very important, and that is a, a big clue as to what is going to come in later books. Okay, that sounds interesting. So uh, speaking of books and later in the series, Spacer is clearly part of a series. We know because it says so on Amazon. Angie just told us there are currently three books out, but uh, is their story done? Will there be more from these characters? Where do you see it going? Uh, what's next? 
The story definitely isn't done. Uh, I, I could see the series will go to six books minimum, but it could go as many as 15. So I have, oh, I have a really trying to go for the double digits there. Yeah, yeah, I have, I have a, a, a really big arc plan for this. There's a, there's a lot of like, as you can probably tell, mysteries that I've sort of hidden and some grim happenings on the horizon, which uh, which have yet to come about. So you're definitely going to be seeing more from uh, Tad Thatcher and Veronica Rose and the crew. Uh, in terms of where I see it going, yeah, I mean, 15 books, hopefully, provided the reader the reader demand stays with the series. Um, in terms of the plot, all I'll say is I think it's going to be a wild ride. I've definitely had a lot of fun coming up with it, so hopefully that's a good indication. Okay. Uh, since this is science fiction and advanced technology is the one main reason, uh, aside from killing aliens and getting paid, I think that's what your friend Chris Kennedy said, but uh, since the tech is part of why we love science fiction, what can we expect from this book? Teleporters, faster than light travel, ice cream machines at McDonald's that actually work. <laughs> well, that's a pipe dream. That's never going to be invented. <laughs> Not even in Canada do they work? <laughs> no, no, no. I gave up on those long ago. But uh, Chris is right. There's definitely going to be a lot of killing aliens and getting paid. Uh, in terms of the tech, uh, one thing I like to play with, her, there's a, a ship that fills the role of what, what's called a logistic ship, and they use Mazer technology, which... Someone posted about it in the group recently. And I said, hey, just like in spaceships. So they, it's like feeding energy via microwave beams. So these logistics ships uh, are intentionally have a lot of capacitor capacity. And that they use that energy to uh, bolster other ships' shields if they're, if they're under fire. Uh, another thing I'll mention about the tech is that the, the ships are, are modular in their construction. And they're designed so that it's easy to swap mod modules in and out. So if you do need more capacitor power, you know, maybe you take a repair drone bay out and put in a capacitor module and things like that. Uh, there's also missiles with laser warheads. So that's pretty cool. Those are for hosing down the, the shields so that other ordnance can get through to the hull. Lasers are cool. Right? That's all I'm saying. Pew, pew. <laughs> All right, Seska, you get to ask your famous favorite question. Tell us about your aliens. All right. So the Xanthic, they're very mysterious. Um, they, uh, we're not really sure what's going on with them. That they, one, one strange thing that they do is, is when Earth local space gets invaded, it actually happens with the aliens appearing underground. In, uh, in pods. So the, the co a colony discovers these pods underground growing, and the next thing they know, aliens are bursting out of them and conducting a ground invasion of the colony, out from space, from underground. And then the same thing happens on Earth. Uh, Thatcher learns about this while he's en route to the Don Cluster, and that everyone on Earth, uh, there was an evacuation begun to, uh, to the lunar colony, and that's kind of the last news he hears about his pregnant wife. So that's obviously stressful for him. Um, the aliens is Xanthic. They're very mysterious. Uh, they haven't communicated with us. We've only really seen uh, unexplained aggression from them. It's assumed that they want our colonies, but 
basically what, what we've seen is just them laying waste to whatever we have and we have no idea why they might be doing that. So very mysterious, very mysterious. So when you go about creating the aliens, did you let nature inspire you? Did you create them out of whole cloth? Did you think what would just be the absolute weirdest thing and we'll do attack of the potatoes? <laughs> uh, I think I may have my alien species for my, for my next book. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, nature for sure has always been a big inspiration for me. Uh for, for example, for my longest-running series, The Ixon Prophecies, which goes into Mech Wars that J.R. mentioned, uh, the main bad guy alien were reptiles. There was also a, a fish species and, and a bird species, which kind of evolved on the same planet. They had the strange co-evolution. Uh, one reviewer somewhat unfavorably called it a, a, a zoo set in space. <laughs> So, uh, but you know, I, th I think I, I think I make it work, but maybe I'm biased. As for the xanthic, uh, they're they're very ins insectile, and the the word xanthic is an obscure word that means yellow. So they're like these sort of papery-looking yellow giant insects with uh, size for arms or scythes or how is that pronounced? This, this is the problem when you learn words from books. I never know how to pronounce anything. Sorry Neither does JR. <laughs> You're lucky I know how to read, ma'am. I, I was there for a reason. Pull string, go boom. Exactly. See, now you get in there. Now you're cooking with Chris, Gow. Speaking of reviews, before she keeps making fun of me, um, and like I want it. you to know my mom, my mom said I was very special. All right. Oh, I'm Stop. sure she did. She also said, bless All your right. heart, I'm sure. My mom said the same thing. <laughs> Plot twist. All right, so we've skimmed the reviews, as we always do. This helps the right reader find the right books. So, dear listener, please be kind and speak your minds on the reviewing platforms. The first book in this universe has 77 reviews at the time of recording with a 4.4 star average rating, which is criminally low. So go buy the book, read it, and then share your thoughts. Uh, five, stars preferred. five stars preferred. Um, so let's look at your negative reviews, which can be equally as helpful in proper book selection. While there were no one-star reviews, there were um, a few two-stars. And one reader mentioned that you lost him because he didn't like how you depicted the captain early in the show, uh, early in the novel. Uh, I traced the guy back just because I was curious. Cause sometimes, you know, you could find they hate everything. And I did notice that this this reviewer does seem to hate all officers. So I'm sure there's some baggage there that, that can be worked out with his psychologist later. But does the <laughs> does that surprise you that someone would have a problem with, with the way you portrayed Thaddeus? In a sense, it, it kind of tells me that I did my job well. Because like I said with Thatcher, um, I, I meant for him to be sort of this abrasive authoritarian at the beginning. I remember the review you're talking about, and, and that does seem to be what he got with it, like from it. Thatcher was too much of an authoritarian and, and too nitpicky when it came to uh, the upkeep and maintenance of the ship and the, the kind of ship he ran. Now, uh, you know, when you say someone runs a tight ship, uh, like you were saying before, Saskia, that can often be viewed as a compliment. So it's, uh, it's sort of a, an interesting line to walk there. Ultimately, you know, your book's not going to be for everyone. And I do mostly interpret that review 
positively. And maybe if he'd continued reading the series, maybe he'd agree with me. Maybe he'd think that that character arc makes sense. So you never know. All right. And you could tell how Canadian he was because he didn't correct me when I said Thaddeus instead of Thatcher. But <laughs> um, it's like the law of the land or something. They're not allowed to be mean in Canada. It's it's written in something, I'm sure. I, have you ever yeah, but, met Sheila Kennedy? She's like the nicest lady ever. See, it's it's like the law of the land in Canada or something. It must yeah, be something in the Maple Syrup. If we're not nice. That's right. <laughs> I believe it. So the other uh, negative review uh, mentioned that they hated a book, the book because it ended on a cliffhanger. So were they right? Is there really a cliffhanger ending? They are right. Uh, I do like to think that I strike wait, wait, a balance. You didn't write to be continued, did you? You know what? I I, I have done that. So I don't think I did it. In <laughs> but I can't claim total innocence because I have done it. So. <laughs> don't ever so. do that. That's the worst freaking ending. It's too late, Cesco. It's been done. I'd rather have you end it in the middle of a sentence than write to be continued. <laughs> In my defense, I do maintain that uh, I think, or what I try to do anyway, is I wrap up the main story arc, and then typically through an epilogue, I'll introduce some tantalizing tidbit, like uh, you know, uh, a character you thought was previously on the good guy's side coming Dude, out. I love with. those. I love those when they do that in an epilogue. Much better. Yeah, exactly. Than so I try to have the best of both worlds, but obviously, you know, some there some reviewers are going to disagree. Best about to be continued. <laughs> I, I think I think some reviewers just want it to be one book. Honestly, I think some people just don't like series, which is which is fair. You know, it's fair for them not to like that. But uh, it's also what I write, so it's it's tough. It's tough to strike that balance. I like series. It's character. Me too. This is true, and you'll never please everybody. Uh, and I, I do think people like hating cliffhangers more than they actually hate them. They like they like hating them more than they actually really do hate them because they keep reading them. And if they really hated it so much, then the market would respond by them being less of them, if that it's makes like sense. like whips and chains. Oh, no, don't come near me. <laughs> I am not touching that one with a 10-foot pole. So I'm just, I'm just yes! not doing it. I guess instead, they are. <laughs> instead, we're going to move right along to the positive reviews because this is a happy show, a friendly show, a family show. Your five-star review felt like uh, you nailed it with your endings to, quote, the author finished a complete book before starting book two. So were you surprised given the previous review that said, oh, it's a cliffhanger, I hate it? No, not really. It's like what you said, Jeremy. I mean, you're not going to please everyone. Uh, you can take – any given element of a book and you're going to find people who will love it and you're going to find people who will hate it. But it sounds like from what this reviewer is saying that, uh, they, they agree with me that I did manage to finish up the main conflict or the main plot of the book while pointing to the fact that there's going to be a second book and interesting things are going to happen to it. And it, uh, I was recently talking about this to Jonathan Yanez and, uh, we were saying, I mean, either there's a second book or there's not. And if there is a second book, I'm probably going to tell you about it in some way, shape, or form. So, uh, like you said, people love to hate cliffhangers, but they are effective. They do alert the reader to the fact that there's an next book. And uh, more often than not, it gets them reading that book. So as an author who has bills to pay, what, what else are you going to do? 
Absolutely. You get it. So uh, another one of your reviewers, another one of your readers felt like you had a firm grasp of pacing for action oriented scenes. So how do you keep that up as the series progresses without uh, letting things get stale? So I think this comes back to uh, the human element for the characters. Like I said, I think that's one of the, the ways that I've made that you're unique from, from a lot of other characters in the genre, or at least a good number, which is that I tried to zero in and assign him personal motivations. And not only that, but make those personal uh, facets of him a big part of why he does what he does. So I think, you know, an action scene, an awesome battle with uh, mind-blowing tactics, that's great. But are you really going to care if it doesn't involve characters that you're invested in. And, you know, obviously there are many ways to invest people in a character. One is to give them flaws like I have or give them uh, a, a human element or a, a personal motivation that's driving them. Another way is to make them extremely competent, like like Han Solo and Empire Strikes Back. And you know, a lot of the, the appeal of that movie is just how competent Han Solo is and that, and that invests you in a character. So bottom line, oh, no. I think uh, counterintuitively, getting the reader to feel like you've paced action well and for them to, to be invested in the action, it comes down to whether they care about the characters or not. Okay. So some of your other positive views felt like you set the hook early in an adventure. Uh, excuse me. They felt like you setting the hook early in the adventure was your superpower. So as an author, is this where you spend most of your time or is that just natural because you read a lot? It's definitely related to reading a lot, but uh, this is also like one of the the areas where I have the most fun as an author. And as you may have gleaned from my my maniacal laughter earlier about the the mysteries that I and the plot twists that I plan for the poor characters in Spacers, um, it's something I have a lot of fun doing, and it's something that I think about from the get go. As you can probably guess, I'm a heavy outliner, so I do plan the series at least in broad strokes from the beginning. And I do, especially for spacers, have a lot of mysteries and plot twists and reveals that I, I plan to, to sort of dole out as the series progresses. Okay. So uh, to your last positive review, uh, your other readers were um, felt like your strongest point was the compelling characters you created, which you've alluded to earlier. So how do you go about creating these people that readers want to spend their precious time with? And how do you keep that up as you expand this universe? It's definitely a challenge, especially when you're writing a long series, because you know, like I said, Thatcher has a character arc. And the main one right now is that uh, he's too much of an authoritarian and he needs to learn to not only relate to his crew more, but also to sort of help them feel ownership, I guess, and to, to connect their own success with the the success of the ship they're serving board more. I think that's really the, the role that he needs to fill. So that's a gradual process. Now, he is struggling with other things like, like the, the, uh, the matter with Veronica Rose and whether he's ever going to get back to Earth local space to see his wife again. Um, so... I mean, once that's resolved, you know, it becomes a question of do you resolve that in one book and then have him manifest another flaw? For me, that doesn't really seem authentic. So it becomes more of a process of him gradually learning and also gradually improving 
uh, as a captain and getting a better grasp on the sort of geopolitical situation between these warring PMCs and also responding to uh, new developments as they happen, which is uh, going to be a doozy in this series, let me tell you. Okay, so with all that's going on in this, have you had any media interest coming up? I mean, you referenced the Expanse, which is definitely a hot commodity. Uh, RPGs, movies, video games, and would you even want that? Well, in terms of media interest, uh, I, I would consider this a, a form of media interest. And Aww, I've been on, thank uh, you. <laughs> the, uh, as, as an indie author, I have found anyway that you don't typically tend to make the mainstream news or, or mainstream outlets, and I'm not sure I would want to anyway. And that's not necessarily to disparage the mainstream media, not necessarily. But uh, they don't need it. Uh, they, they they set themselves up for it. Yeah, no, totally. But the, the main reason for that is uh, that really the the readers that I'm serving are a very defined group, and that and they have very defined desires for they want for what they want to see in this very specific subgenre of science fiction, military, sci-fi, space fleet. So for me to get on Oprah or something, it's really probably going to do, do me more harm than good in the long run, especially when you think about the Amazon algorithm and the, the polluting it with just this general audience data. So it's, it's kind of an interesting uh, thing that we have to grapple with as indie authors. And as you guys know, you know we have to wear uh, every, every hat there is to wear when it comes to producing our books and writing them and editing them and doing cover art, whether whether we're outsourcing that or not, I definitely don't do my own cover. That would be a very bad idea. But to answer the second part of your question, um, in terms of other media, I guess you might count uh, merchandise as another form of media. I don't know. I'll, for the purposes of answering this question, I'll count it. And uh, we have started doing those 3D models, which I mentioned. Uh, there's also been a lot of talk in the group of, of having a demand for uh, like ship patches and and mugs and t-shirts and things with uh, with maybe the ship patch on it or, or some cover art, things like that. So I, I am starting to think about that. Well, and if you as, do the uh, model, as, you could turn that into a, a tabletop war game. Yeah, actually, on another interview uh, I did, uh, that that was mentioned, and the, the interviewer was, was talking about um, maybe we should all collaborate as authors and sort of have, you know, my space fleets go against Chris Fox's aliens and, you know, Nick. Oh, Cole's. but how would you beat his magic system? Well, good point. Good point. Yeah. Uh, Chris, Chris Fox's, uh, tech mages would probably be pretty OP against my, my magicless space fleet peeps. <laughs> oh, but, but in terms wait, of, wait, wait, wait. But you have the power of the angry wife, so that's that like negates his magic. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I, I would probably win. Come to think of it, I never never discount an angry wife. That's right. But yeah, in terms of movies and stuff, uh, I've had readers say that this would make a cool movie or TV show. Uh, I, I have had like nibbles. I, I've been uh, approached by a director who who brought one of my earlier books, contemporary fiction, to a producer. Nothing came of that. He's since got in touch about my sci-fi stuff, and that was a few months ago. So you learn to quickly not get your hopes up about these things, but I guess it's cool to, to have the interest and to, to dream about it maybe someday. 
JR will dream for you. <laughs> I like it. With, the, with our powers combined. We'll there you go, hurt. JR. I, I, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Captain Planet, he approves. <laughs> All right. So uh, was there anything else about the Spacer series or book one in particular that we didn't ask that you want to tell us before we move on? No, I think we covered everything. All right. So well, you set this now, there's, there's just no hope. <laughs> they better go buy it. So we also are petitioning um, Amazon to add a buy all button um, to the author page. So if they go to the page and like, oh, this guy looks interesting, buy all. Uh, we might break the infrastructure of the uh, the whole global economy if we do that. But but we're gonna we're gonna see if we can make that happen. Well, you have my so. full support. <laughs> I knew I would. <laughs> so you set this in the hard science fiction subgenre of sci-fi. So what is your biggest pet peeve when you read about other books? that address these strange probable futures and obviously speak generally because karma is a thing. So ironically, I, I mean, hard sci-fi is uh, obviously about being accurate with the, the science and being detail oriented and never, never straying too far outside our current laws of physics. And uh, that's something that I could stand to get better at. One thing is, I mean, if you have FDL travel, you've, you've already broken relativity I don't really see a way around that. You could take the expanse route and just make it around the solar system. I think Red Bruno's Titanborn series does that too. But, um, you know, FDL travel, there you go. You've already, in a sense, thrown hard, hard sci-fi out the window. Now, when it comes to the, the minutia of, like, the tech and, and the way uh, the, the weapon systems work and things and, uh, you know, the, the position of the planets and the gravitational forces and all that good stuff. I do try to be as accurate as I possibly can. On to my pet peeve, and it's kind of ironic to say this, my pet peeve when it comes to hard sci-fi is when the books get too technical about the science and it just reads like a, a technical manual like for how to colonize other planets or something. So you don't uh, read David I'm Weber's gonna... later works. <laughs> I haven't gotten that far with Honor Harrington, so... I'll take your word for it. but uh, There's a point of... at which you just want to say, yes, David, we get it. Lots of missiles. <laughs> no, no comment. No, I mean, I th if I were to, to uh, put out like a, if I were to give an example of, of someone who I think does the, the hard science thing really well and strikes a good balance, I, I would say uh, Joshua Dalzell's Black Fleet, Black Fleet trilogy. That's someone who I, I really kind of look up to, I guess, and he inspires me to be better about the, the, the hard scientific details. Uh, A.G. Riddle does a pretty good job with that, too. Now, the, the, extinction, the, uh, the Extinction File series was pretty good at, at balancing that. Nice. So uh, what about – well, you've already mentioned um, story, uh, hard sci-fi as it should be with, uh, with Dezel, Josh Dalzell. So um, you've also set this series in the colonization subgenre of sci-fi. So what is your biggest pet peeve when you read about other books addressing people's search for new homes among the stars? And again, speaking generally, because karma is a thing. Yeah, to be honest, I haven't done a whole lot of reading of, of colonization. I guess you could call M.R. Forbes' Forgotten, the original trilogy, Sword of Colonization. But to say much more about that would be massive spoilers. Long story short with that book, just read it if you haven't, because it's, it's amazing. But um, I guess just speaking generally, uh, for me, it's important that you get 
the, the, the right balance of all these elements. So I've talked a lot about the, the human element and making sure characters have believable motivations. But I also think you can go too far with that stuff to the point where your colonization story is suddenly just a soap opera. So uh, if I were to encounter that, I think it would probably irk me. I can't really recall any examples of having encountered that in colonization. But I, like I said, I, I really haven't done much specific colonization reading. Okay. So do you have any that you think tell the stories as they should be? Uh, M.R. Forbes, uh, Forgotten Trilogy, like I said. Uh, I really enjoyed the the colony anthology that I was a part of, the Nathan Heistad Explorations Anthology, which was focused around colonization. And if I can self-plug a bit, I guess why not? The story that I wrote in that, uh, what was it called? The Colony of Imago, I believe. I, I had a lot of fun writing that. It's totally unrelated to anything else I've written. It's not set in any existing year. Well, that was the whole deal with explorations. It had to be set in the explorations universe. So that was, that was really cool to sort of cut loose and just get, get really inventive with that. So, uh, yeah. So, um, you mentioned the children of the Titan series, which, uh, was Rut C. Bruno. That's actually some, some good colonization. Um, the, um, Forgotten One by M.R. Forbes, the Forgotten Starship series is good. The um, You've mentioned Joshua Dozell's Black Fleet, but he also has the Terran Scout Fleet, which was actually Space Colonization series. Amazing. If you haven't read it, check it out. And then uh, Jasper T. Scott, I think is his name, and Ken Lazito do pretty good in that in that space. Totally, yeah. So, um, I, I'm pulling from memory because I haven't actually listened to those, and I've been doing almost exclusively listening lately. Um, so I have to uh, try to remember back when I read written the written stuff before before COVID shut the schools down. <laughs> yes. Now, now about the only time I li- I read, if you will, in air air quotes, is when I'm listening to it on a on a uh, audio book while I'm walking to um, to exercise, which is also getting away. <laughs> <laughs> it's not escaping if you come back. So there you go. I come back. So the next question is yours, Tesco. Yes. The next question is mine. Okay. Now that we talked about yours and your strong opinions about, about sci-fi, what are you reading in the genre? So currently, and it feels like blasphemy to say, but I'm not currently reading any sci-fi. Uh, the next one on my list, well, I'll say what I'm, I am reading right now. I just finished uh, words of radiance by Brandon Sanderson, which is epic fantasy. And I'm also reading uh, It's Your Ship, which is by it's like a, a, a book written by a real life Navy captain who transformed his ship, he says, from the, the worst in the in the Navy to the best. So I'm pretty early on in that, but I, I figured that was pretty applicable to the kind of stuff I write. And next on my list is um, Terms of Enlistment by Marco Cluse. Great series. Great series. The Frontline series. That uh, that intro is a twist. I think he's up to what seven or eight books in that one now. Nice. Actually, so I actually have my camera here, so I can tell you what the last sci-fi book I read was. I can just bring it oh, up. What's here. that? Uh, just loading it. So it was hmm, showing the last three books. I also read Brief Points recently, but which is about the, the Naval Academy. Okay. But that's not sci-fi either. Um, mm. Roger. He likes to read about semen. 
Got it. <laughs> Busted. Yeah. Had to happen. <laughs> she couldn't help herself. Well, while you try to think about that, Seska, what are you reading in the crowded field of science fiction? I'm currently reading book six of Chris Fox's Mage Tech Chronicles. Hence my comment about, you know, mage, ma the magic system. And uh, I don't know. I got it as a big omnibus and I can't remember what the title of book six is. Yeah. <laughs> 66 hours for one credit. You can't go wrong. No, and it's it's been truly enjoyable. So, and I do have to admit, he does these little like previous. You you know when you watch when you used to watch a show before Netflix, at the beginning of the se season, the next season they're like previously on, and he does those, and they're really humorous, and I've enjoyed them despite the fact that I'm listening to the series straight one through seven. Well, it's because he, he didn't uh, obviously write it as an omnibus, so he's reminding himself of probably as much as everyone else. Well, it's so funny, too, because he's like, and it's almost, the, and one of them is like, it's like he's setting up a follow-on series or something, because in the armor of, um, the armor of plot point, that he's like, of course the character doesn't die, because the armor of plot points. And I'm like, and it just made me giggle. <laughs> that's all. That's always a plus. No, because I have just gotten into reading and or listening and binging the entire book stuff. So I will eventually as when I have time, but I haven't had time to play an RPG in about a few years. I'm told mm -hmm. that once my spawn hits 18, I might have time. Uh, I've heard that. I've heard that. I have uh, I have some some serious bragging rights that I got to flaunt here. I, I played in the the first ever uh, time that Chris run the Magitech RPG. I, I I played in that game. So uh, that's cool. how'd, you manage, how'd you manage that? Uh, right place, right time. I, I'm in a like a an author group, Sci-Fi Reads with Chris, and uh, it's probably through that, that that he invited me, and he was running a game in Vegas at the, the 20 books to 50k conference and it was the first night i'd basically just gotten off a plane i was basically punch drunk and uh i'm sure That's i didn't the play, best time well. to play yeah it was it was pretty absurd i remember some absurd things happening so <laughs> you're probably right yeah i've recently gotten into uh rpg gaming i the galaxy's edge boys have one that we do with jim ward uh who's famous for his connections with the dungeons and dragons uh, the original foundational period of it. I am not a uh, expert gamer, so forgive me if I'm getting all of that wrong, dear listener. But so we're using his metamorphosis alpha system to run a, a reskinned as a Galaxy's Edge, and I've been doing that. So it is a lot of fun. Once I learn more, I'm going to give uh, Chris Fox's RPG uh, a shot. I think See, I grew up on it, RPGs and stuff. So I speaking of RPGs. I actually, I remembered or I figured out what the last sci-fi book was that I, I read technically. And I actually listened oh, to it. It was Reboot by Domino Finn. It's a lit RPG, and it's in the Afterlife Online series. Okay. But the last, so, book, uh, the last book in my genre was Mark Wayne McGinnis, The Hidden Ship. He's a great author as well. I like his, um, was it uh, Junkyard Fleet series? Right, yeah, I haven't read that one. I've heard it's good. 
It's it's good. It's good. The um, speaking of of gaming and and what we grew up on, Seska. I grew up on the little league baseball and not coming home until the lights came on on the street. So I tried to avoid anything that required me to be inside. So you know we maybe that malls. So there. <laughs> maybe that's why I ended up in the infantry. I don't know. But uh, and then as for me, I've been um, re-listening to the Ember Wars because. Uh, I realized that I stopped the series. Um, I don't remember what happened, but I stopped after book two and uh, I owned them all. So I don't know why I didn't listen. And so I went to listen to book three and I'm like, I have no idea what's going on. So I went ahead and started back at the beginning. So that's what I've been listening to. So finally, we like to remember the science that makes science fiction fun. And because this episode is recorded a lot closer to when it's going to air, we get to do it this week. So, Scott, is there any science you are following and excited by? So the biggest thing that stands out in my mind is uh, an article that you posted in the Spacers group this week, Chair, which is about that, uh, that new camouflage in development. Okay. That was pretty cool. So, uh, so I said something i'm going to use for a future book it uh it helped mask the heat sensors um since um not everyone's seen the link i will link it in the show notes but supposedly it helps mask the heat signatures from nvg's ability to see you so it would make you essentially uh invisible for for night optics so That's what about you Saska? Yeah. uh you can claim chris's episode since he had to bail I can oh, claim nice. Chris's episode. Uh, you mean the not Hubble his episode? Yes, that, his, his, his article, <laughs> I get an not his entire episode. episode. Um, yes. The Hubble uh, Hubble captured cosmic reefs, which in their stunning 30th anniversary image is the title. So I love it because I I love it, actually I love looking at space pictures. I find them calming because I'm a dork. Um, it goes in, but it goes into the history of some of the space images. Um, Winder did point it out to me because he's a Marine and you know, they need lots of pictures. They like, this is a picture book for him, but for me, it's just calming. It's true. Pictures are good for him. So, all right. And so I have the article is the SpaceX SN4 Starship prototype passes key pressure test. So uh, I think the article says it all, but uh, we're going to go into it anyway. Uh, this is another article from space.com where they tell you everything you need to know in the article title. Um, but they really could use a, an editor. And Winder tells me he is still available if they need a copy editor. Uh, he'll be helping, happy to help you out. But from there are the article, a lot of people that need copy editors this, these days. Yes. So from the article, Starship SN4, Sierra November 4, just took a big step toward a test flight. The newest prototype of SpaceX's Starship Mars colonizing, colonizing spacecraft just passed a critical pressure test, likely setting the stage for a test flight in the near future. Hopefully uh, COVID-19 won't pause that too much. Um, Starship SN4 survived a cryo pressure test late Saturday, or excuse me, Sunday night on April 26, 2020, at SpaceX's South Texas site near the village of Boca Chica. Uh, company founder and CEO Elon Musk announced SN4 passed cryoproof, he said on Twitter late that evening. Um, or, um, or early morning Monday, April 27th, because the editor couldn't agree with which time the actual announcement passed, so they listed both. Uh, again, copy editors are a thing. Uh, in a post that included a relieved emoji, 
Uh, Elon announced great work by SpaceX Engineering. The article goes on to explain more about the process and the significance of this cryopressure test, but uh, I'm not going to read the whole thing for you, so click the link and read it yourself, people. Reading is essential. I'm sure they know uh, how. And they do They do want to know more. So basically, uh, my thoughts are it's awesome to be alive to watch us push back into the stars. Uh, we shouldn't have abandoned it after we landed on the moon. And uh, anything that makes uh, my eventual vacation to Mars to, to hit up that Martian Motel 6 is a good thing. Fully so, agree. Yeah, because uh, I'm not I'm not up in the um, in the Scott Bartlett territory of awesomeness yet with my book. So I, I can't stay at like the Trump Towers or the Hilton on Mars. I've got to stay at the Motel 6. But hey, they will oh, leave their light on for you. I'll, I'll probably be so, next <laughs> So, Scott, where can listeners find you? Uh, Scottplots.com is my website. P-L-O-T-S, like stories. Some people thought the plots was my last name. That's not the case. Uh, to email me, scott at scottplots.com. Scott has two T's. Uh, I love getting emails. I love talking to readers. So shoot me a message. Otherwise, uh, my, yeah, my Amazon page is a good place to, to see all my books. On my website, I have all the book ones listed. But if you want to see them all, then you can uh, look me up on Amazon. Outstanding. And that's a good place to look. And all of his links will be in the show notes, including his Patreon, uh, which I somehow missed and just added to the show notes today. You can find us on our website at www.sfs. Wow. You'd think I've never done this before. Again, you can find us on our website, www.sfshenanigans.com, our Twitter at sfs underscore show, Sierra Foxtrot Sierra underscore show. You can email us at podcast at sfshenanigans.com. All hate mail can be sent to Seska at sfshenanigans.com. And our Facebook group is facebook.com backslash groups. This is what happens when they finally get you an email. It, it is. And uh, again, our Facebook group, uh, facebook.com backslash groups backslash SF shenanigans. And that's a wrap, people. Thank you for spending some of your precious time with us. For Chris Winder and Seska Smalls, I'm J.R. Hanley, and this was the Sci-Fi Shenanigans Podcast. We'll be back next week at the same time where we'll indulge our love of space and all things that go boom. All right. Thank you for sticking with us through that uh, archived episode that was in the uh, in the digital memory hole that we found. We thought you'd enjoy it. So thank you for spending some of your precious time with us. For Nick Garber and Doc Seska, I am J.R. Hanley, and this was the archive for the Blasters and Blades podcast. We'll be back at our regular scheduled time where we'll indulge our love of nerd culture, cheesy jokes, and all things that go boom.